Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, August 17th, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaber. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, I apologize to the authors of the course spec. We explain why the web versus native debate is a red herring and wonder aloud what will happen to all the soon-to-be unemployed cabbies in Boston. Stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Hello. You up on your mic? Yes, I am. Sounds good. That's good. I actually should start off by saying that... uh, Last night, a lot of times before we record the podcast, I go back and listen to the previous one to remind myself what we talked about. Mm-hmm. And this, your sound levels were so bad at the beginning, um, the yeah. way I, the way I mixed it, that uh, I redid it and uploaded them. Oh yeah. Yes. So if, thank you. Yeah, if, they were they were really bad to begin with. It was so low. It wasn't as bad when I listened to the um, the master. But uh, in the actual, when it's mixed down to an MP3, it was just, I mean, you couldn't hear yourself at all. So. Oh, so, oh, so you just messed me up. <laughs> That's right. I'm Thanks sorry. so much. Audio engineering is not my, not my prime directive. <laughs> You're the music guy. You should know this stuff. Yeah, I know. It's embarrassing. You're right. But uh, yeah, so if uh, our dear listener gave up after the first minute or two of last week's episode a new version has been uploaded that you can actually hear which is better yeah, yeah. and in in your defense last week's episode did straighten itself out after a while yeah it was only about uh a, a couple minutes in but uh it's much better now yeah that's good so what's going on um just rushing to get work done and and not have a nervous breakdown Oh, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Rushing to not have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you uh you're headed to the under the laser on Friday? Uh no, tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? I thought it was Friday. It's tomorrow. Uh. I'm planning on taking Friday off too though, just because I figure, you know, after surgery I might on my eye I might want to take a break for a couple of days. But. Yeah, from staring at a computer screen. Yeah probably wise mm-hmm. yeah he says he says recovery should be extremely short mm-hmm. but my my version of extremely short and everyone else's version of extremely short when it comes to eye things is is um a little different mm. i took i took probably six almost like four months to fully recover from the cataract surgery wow so yeah, I remember there was, you know, there was like all sorts of, um, you know, like, uh, it's getting weird today. And then a week later, it's doing something else. And Yeah. You might want to back off the mic a smidge because I'm getting breathing sounds. Oh, sorry. That's that better. Okay. Um, yeah. It, this is our obscene phone call episode. <laughs> no extra charge. Yeah. Number one, dial 900 podcast. Yeah. Dollar forty nine for the first minute and 99 cents each additional minute. <laughs> That's a bargain. Yeah, it is. I'm yeah, told. I, I, guess, I guess 900 numbers have probably gone up in price now. I don't know. They can't still. Do you think they, st- they I guess they probably I do know. still exist. I don't know. Probably. 
when I was in a a band. I was in a rock band in, right after college called The Balls, <laughs> and we had a song called "She's My Number One 900 Girl." <laughs> it's online. Nice. You can. I don't know. I don't actually. I don't know if that one is online, but you can find the Balls oeuvre by googling. Oh, cool! I have to, I'll have to do that. Yeah. We did not take ourselves very seriously. No, I think you sent me a recording of, of one of the the shows, assuming that's the same band. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Wigs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Kiss was a uh, formative influence. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a mix of Kiss and Green Day. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a good way to to describe what I saw. <laughs> Cartoon punk. Yeah. So, uh, what we we were chatting last night, and we had a whole bunch of fun things to talk about. We did, but then I took a nap, and so now I don't remember. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember a couple. So I'll kick off while you uh, try and refresh your memory. But uh, it's probably a good one to start with anyway. Um, last week we. Mostly me, but we sort of beat up on uh, cores, which is short for cross-origin resource sharing. And I had my uh, knickers in a bundle because it seemed to me like it was architected backwards and didn't um, it didn't do what I thought it was for. Um, so basically, what well, without going without rehashing the whole conversation. Um, you know, I was, I think both of us were like, we probably just don't understand what it's for, but it does seem weird and we couldn't figure out a reason why it would exist. So, um, right after we finished recording, I emailed Anna Van Kestren, who was, who recently left opera, I guess, but for the last almost decade, um, was at opera and is the uh, editor of that or the, the primary author of that particular spec. And unbelievably, he got back to me um, with a one-sentence email that completely cleared it up for me. <laughs> so, um, so apologies to the people who worked on the core spec because it is not for what um, uh, I or we thought it was for. See, I I think you and I were kind of approaching it from two different angles too, because I think you were saying that cores was the thing that was pointless and I was saying it's it's not cores it's the same origin policy that's pointless and the cores implementation to fix that I was actually okay with right and that's and that's the that's the right place to have your <laughs> have your mental space <laughs> I was right you were wrong yes yes so the so his one line back to me was what you're looking for is CSP not cores and CSP I had never heard of, so uh, after some quick Googling, I found the um, W3C spec for, uh, it's a, I guess, a working draft in last call for uh, content security policy. And it does exactly what I was saying cores should do, um, which is that you can return headers from your web server that indicate to the browser that you don't want any outgoing requests from your pages hosted on your domain uh, to domains other than the ones specified in the headers, which is exactly 
awesome. Exactly what yeah. you want for if you're worried about cross-site scripting attacks because you can't because that would prevent anyone who somehow maliciously injected JavaScript into your page one way or another from contacting their home base with uh, with any information about uh, you know a visitor visitors cookies or whatever. Yeah, and that to me seems to also solve the problem that the same origin origin policy to begin with is attempting to address. Yes, it's that is probably what same origin policy should have been. Yeah. Yeah. So and now and the other thing is once like once uh, my sort of anger bubble was popped, mm-hmm. I took another look at cores with sort of a you know without the frustration of it not doing what I thought it was for because that's not what it's for. Um, and and really what it really what cores is, which you probably already understood this clearly, but I didn't, so I'll just say it out loud. I, I, I apparently didn't articulate it well, so. Yeah, I'm still, I was so frustrated with it. Uh, but anyway, the the um, the concept is, you know, the web the web is the way it is, and they and they can't just, you know, the web is the way it grew up. So we're into this place, and you sort of wish like the same origin policy didn't exist and initially it was set up with csp or whatever and that um and cores in that case probably wouldn't need to exist um so what cores is is kind of like a i I almost view it now as a patch on top of uh csp that sort of standardizes what everyone was trying to do with proxies and jsonp yeah so that's cool, and that totally makes sense. And I guess I did know that. You know, I think even last week uh, I admitted that Cores does solve the prob- solves a problem that we have, uh, but I felt like it was, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I, I just thought it should also – I kind of, like, thought it should be CSP and Cores, but those are two separate things, and now that I know about CSP, I can relax. <laughs> it It all does kind of feel – Kind of feels like their their attempts to patch the the initial problem, which is the 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 screwed up way the same origin policy works. Right, without breaking backwards compatibility. Without breaking backwards compatibility, and yeah, that's that's just the way it's going to have to be for a while. Right. Yeah, and so apologies to uh, anybody involved with with cores. Now I've got my head pulled out of my butt. Uh, so that's nice. The view's a lot better. So if you are interested, uh, we will link to CSP in the show notes. Um, it's, it's, it's refreshing. Usually a lot of times you'll see a spec, maybe because I'm used to looking at old ones, but, uh, and they're sort of maddeningly confusing. But this one really makes sense. It's kind of, it's, they sort of implemented it, in, or, or they defined it in sort of the obvious way. Uh, it's, it's almost CSS-y. So it's very, very cool. Cool. It's nice. Yeah, very refreshing. So let's see. So uh, what else? So th- the other thing that I want to talk about, unless you remembered your, uh... um, I have I have stuff, but it doesn't feel like it's ready. It doesn't feel like it really fits in with this kind of vein we're on right now. So if you want to continue with this and then maybe shift gears later on to, to a couple of things. Yeah. All right. Well, um, the the other thing I was that's sort of on my radar that was um. The uh, back and forth between, you know, w- web or native and uh, especially on mobile, particularly on mobile, you know, how to, uh, uh, f- 
how a brand should implement its mobile presence or how people should implement their mobile presence and whether or not it should be with native code or with uh, a mobile website or with um, you know a hybrid approach where you build a phone gap app wrapper and you stuff it full of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript that's installed locally. And I, I read an article yesterday that was, I read a lot, of, a lot of the articles I read about it are super infuriating because they talk about um, applications as if they're all exactly the same thing. Like every application is the same and therefore should all be built with the same materials, if you will. Yeah, that's, that's not the case at all. Yeah, it's just silly. And it's funny because even, even they will often call out, well, okay, everything I'm saying doesn't apply to games because you should do whatever yeah. you want with games. Because that's totally different. That's an immersive experience. Should have its own kind of controls. It shouldn't doesn't need to look, uh, you know, OS resident by using native controls or whatever. But but everything else, everything else, should, everything else, yeah. yeah. And so the, the the article I just read, which we'll link to, but the article I read was very much like we need to think about the users first, and not our own problems first as developers and designers. And, which I totally agree with. Mm -hmm. And he goes on, but he goes on to say that he like draw, the, draws the conclusion that therefore we should never build um, mobile apps with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript because they're always better with if you build them in Xcode. And but. Uh, yeah, uh, okay, I'll, I'll disagree with that. But. Yeah, I, I totally disagree yeah. with it too, but not for the reason that he would think. So, so you know, it, the, the, argument was, the argument was that, I'm just sort of paraphrasing, it's an enormously long article, but um, the argument is that if you can provide a better user experience, then you, you, it's your responsibility to do so. And I, and I have like, a couple of different reactions to that. First of all, not everyone drives a BMW and there are other kinds of cars, you know, or, or Rolls Royce or whatever the nicest car is because there's a cost associated with that. And, uh, and there's also a time to market and an availability. And, uh, and it's, it's not a perfect metaphor because there's a big difference between cars and a digital product. But, um, you know, if you look at, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, for example, who, mm -hmm. who had an interest in designing something that was also affordable uh, and could be a mass market thing but wasn't crap. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a place for that, and I think there is a correlation, not a correlation, but I think there's a similarity there that, um, that is getting ignored by people who, are, who say things like, I'm only going to develop websites I'm only going to support the most modern browsers with my website or I'm only going to develop stuff with uh, native code or, or, or native you know like uh, basically it's always Xcode it's always Apple people yeah that are like uh, they're like oh well you know Android's crap and so on Android you can do whatever you want because it's all crap you know yeah, they're, you, they're, don't, you don't hear this argument coming from the Android people no never and and you'll, there'll be like graphs and charts of like user satisfaction across a timeline. And, and on the left-hand side, it'll be like, you know, a uh, web experience that can be accessed by all. And then it'll move to like up the, up the chain of, of awesomeness to a native experience. But <laughs> the thing that gets lost is you lose like 90% of your market or, or e 
even if conservatively 70% of your market when you cross over the middle point there because the because it's not like you're going to reach the same market with that native app. Yeah. It's, it's totally not the same thing. So, so the point being that, you know, unless you're going to develop natively for multiple platforms, which no one is saying, I'd like everyone agrees that that is, well, <laughs> I'm sure everyone doesn't agree, but uh, that I think that that is an incredibly expensive option that, you know, it, it gets back into that Rolls Royce territory where you're like, okay, uh, if I'm going to build if I'm only going to build native apps because I owe it to my users to create the best possible experience, then I have to build native apps for every platform that comes out. And it's either that or be exclusionary and just develop for one platform. Yeah. Yeah. See, my, my take on it is you owe it to your users to give them the best possible user experience within the reasonable constraints of your, your timeline and your budget. Yeah, never. Yeah. Imagine if you're doing like, you know, let's just for the sake of argument, say that you're building your own stuff and you're not doing client work. But yeah, so you're, you're which complicates things, you know, more on our side of the fence makes it makes it more palatable to do things the way that we prefer to do it. But uh, but the other thing is, it, are you really delivering a better user experience with your native iOS app? Because let's be honest, that's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um are you delivering a better user experience to uh, your users when your application is only available on iOS? And increasingly, people are going to be carrying Android devices. And um, uh, in addition to, like, even if even if people do have an iPhone uh, or an iPad, they probably also have, you know, a, they. It's highly likely that they'll have like a Windows laptop. Maybe they're going to have a Windows 8 tablet, uh, Surface, whatever they're called. Uh, maybe they have, um, you know, maybe they've got a new boot to gecko phone. They're going to have all sorts of devices uh, with all different, all different capabilities. And the native applications are not, you know, if you're, let's say you make like a, uh, I don't know, like a trivial Twitter client kind of thing. And you, you deliver that on iOS uh, and you have a user that buys it and that user's, that user also has an Android phone for work, let's say, or they also have uh, a Kindle Fire, and they want that experience. They want that same experience on all those devices. Well, aren't you, aren't you then providing a bad user experience because they are forced to access it only on one device? Yeah, and then even if you do create native versions for each operating system, you're going to end up uh, the experience is still going to be different because if you're standardizing on these sort of native look and feel of the device the iphone interface is different from the android interface and i mean i mean visually the workflow may work the same but visually there's there's going to be differences in the application mm-hmm. and with a with a hybrid app or or a mobile or a sorry a hybrid app or a, or a web solution you can you know it's it's going to be virtually identical across all platforms Right. Yeah. I, it, it, the device disappears and you just have the app. And and to me, that is like so obvious to me that that is the way to do the bulk of experiences. So if you you are, so a full, a strong majority, let's say of applications that are, uh, that you see, especially like productivity stuff and lifestyle, anything that's content heavy, there's 
I, I, I get the argument that it should look resident on the platform, but as more platforms appear, it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Your app should look like your app. It shouldn't look like Steve Jobs' vision of a, of a mobile OS. You know, it just doesn't even yeah. make sense. Yeah, and actually I ran into this um, a few days ago, actually with Instagram, because the, the interface for cropping and resizing photos for the Instagram application for Android is different than it is for iOS. <laughs> and I'd only used it on my Android phone. And I put it on my new iPhone the other day, and I, I took a photo, and I was gonna gonna resize and crop, and I was like, "Wait a minute, how do I do this?" <laughs> yeah, how's that a good user experience? Yeah. <laughs> so I I just think the attitude is one that is it maybe made a little bit more sense two years ago when it was hard for anyone to imagine anything but the iPhone or someone owning more than one or one device. Yeah. But it's getting less and less, it's getting to be less and less of a defensible position. You know, it's a, a, by the end of the year, there are, we're on track to hit um, equal number of, you know, like 7.8 billion active self, uh, cellular accounts, which is the same as the number of human beings on the planet, men, yeah. women, children, uh, et cetera. And, you know, they're not all humans some of that's machine to machine but uh, lots of those the reason why the penetration is such a high percentage is because lots of those people have multiple connections and you know it's just not the device is not where it's at and you know i don't know obviously i think that but to, to it just seems so short-sighted to imagine that oh you know yeah i mean sure if you're a solo person in your garage and you're just doing this on the weekend fine but when when people are abdicating to like like mass market brands that they should go out and build an iPhone app for first step first step mobile strategy build an iPhone app it's crazy you know and just ignore all the rest of the market don't worry about your website cuz you you know websites are just yeah. websites are old and junky you need a shiny new iPhone app and it's going we should put a game in it and maybe uh, geolocation yep. and, and have some badges you can unlock yeah, and you can put yeah badges would be good. Let's let's do some gamification, and uh, and while we're at it, maybe we can you know put different wigs on the person's face when they take a picture of themselves. It's like and let them tweet it. Yeah, you guys sell <laughs> social. Did I say social? Yeah, <laughs> you guys sell shoes. You know, yeah. sell shoes. Just sell shoes. You know, and it's like I don't know. It just drives me bananas. In case you couldn't tell. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny because you see some of some of the biggest mobile marketing pushes I've seen have have been like from soft drink companies, mm. and just like you know, I I don't I don't drink Coke Zero because of some game on Facebook. <laughs> Not really going to change my opinion about this product. I buy it because I like the way it tastes. It's going to go viral. I know I still don't care. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um I, I don't feel a need to be a part of the Coke Zero community. <laughs> like your leaderboard of people who have drunk the most Coke Zero. Yeah, that's L I T E R. <laughs> oh god. Wow. 
set yourself up for that one. Oh, I just, I just throwing these pitches, you're knocking them out. The leaderboard. Well, so to tie this into, uh, to tie this into the uh, overall build apps that run everywhere concept, mm -hmm. the I think the, jeez, uh, I guess I am kind of coloring this from a direct uh, uh, my specific direction, which is working with big brands, and and coming up with a mobile strategy that is going to be feasible, and it's really hard for uh, for everyone to separate the sort of hype from the reality. And that's, I guess that's why that article ticked me off so much. But what, what big brands should be doing to, to attempt to claw back some relevancy in this sort of new world order of wireless computing is to worry about things like creating a unified content platform for your, your internal, you know, your data. Presumably you've got some data that you're trying to push out, whether it's you know, products and services like your, you know, I don't know, financial, uh, the financial vertical or your retail, then you're going to have like a product database and a customer database. Or if you're in publishing, you're going to have articles and, and, and photo galleries and, you know, you've got content and right now it's all screwed up. All it's owned by all different departments. You've got different information about the same SKUs, let's say, or you've got, uh, you know, you've got a CMS that's polluted with, um, HTML tags and, and rich, rich text formatting that gets converted on output. It's just like that is where the effort should be going is to clean up that stuff and expose things at least internally between your different departments via an API so that that, you know, dot com and uh, I don't know, operations don't have to have 10 meetings to share data. They can just go to the API and get the data they need and create whatever app, whether it's B2E or B2C application. Uh, or for their business partners or machine to machine. I mean, like that's that's where all the effort should be going right now, not you know cranking out a Coke Zero app, yeah, <laughs> posting it on Facebook, or even worrying about whether the buttons on your interface look like, you know, do they look like iOS buttons too much, or or should they be? You know, it's like, you know, it's just the focus is getting is getting yanked into this place that is going to be is going to keep changing constantly. Yeah. And people need to get the foundation underneath them if they even hope to keep up with any of that. Yeah, you need need to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, that's what I, I mean, that's what I think. So Yeah. I I agree. You know, APIs, a real content management system, and then you can start worrying about your clients. And I'm not anti-native app, by the way. Oh, no. It's just another client to me. That's the thing. It's, it's exactly. you, sh you should do all those things. You should do you should do a native app, and you sh if you you know. But first, Table Stakes is doing as having mobile access to your website. Right, native app shouldn't be your go to solution for your mobile strategy. Yeah, like like it, it should be the thing that comes after you built the stable foundation based on a solid API and con good content management and interconnectivity and communication between your your clients and your data mm. yeah exactly yeah everybody wants to ignore the hard decisions and focus on like oh that's you know that's gorgeous look at that sliding animation yeah you know but the hard decisions are you know for like my the the drum i'm always beating when i go into one of these meetings is is that the way that large organizations are traditionally incentivized it pits departments against each other uh, you know they have finance. They're they're bonused 
they're incentivized financially to beat the other departments and mm-hmm. that makes them not want to cooperate. So that's, you know, that's not an easy thing to change and no one wants to do it. So, but, you know, until, until a company, you know, you think like an international brand or a global brand until they have one customer database, they're screwed. Like if you have a loyalty information in some third party solution and you've got POS information in another place and you've got uh, just your regular, um, you know, your .com registrations in another place and there's dupe data all over the place and there's different logins for everyone, you're never going to be able to create like a seamless mobile user experience or, or wireless experience where that, that people have come to expect. And maybe expectations are really high or unreasonably high, but that's what they are. Yeah. And in fact, we're actually, we're sort of dealing with this right now with a, a client that we're working with and they're, they're a much smaller scale. I don't know. I don't know how many customers they have, but I would, I would wager somewhere around probably 50,000 total maybe. Mm. And that, that may be way high. It may be way low. I don't know. But, um, they're, they're a much smaller scale and their, their number of mobile offerings at the moment is not a huge number, but still having having that fragmentation is making life difficult. Mm. I'm not sure which client you're talking about. I'm not sure I can say. I'll cut it out. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, they have way more than 50,000. Oh, do they? Yeah. it's uh, They have like 50,000 per week. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like big, big numbers of even yeah. for a relatively small, in the scheme of things, a relatively small company. Um, and, you know, I just had a, I had a meeting last week with a big retailer. And, you know, the guy I talked to understood what, you know, he, he wasn't in a particular department. He was kind of like, he wasn't in IT, but he was kind of like IT where he services a lot of different departments. Mm-hmm. And he was like, totally like, yeah exactly like these depart you go to a meeting and these you know like dot com and retail are just like pitted against each other and those are the two that that need to work together immediately for retail to start you know pulling out of the nosedive yeah so whatever but they'll but they're still cranking out shiny apps that really don't don't do anything for the user yeah and and then when you have to all of, all of that data is is encapsulated and, and separate and away from the rest of the the rest of the information and, and you can't share your data it really really complicates things if it, if it doesn't now it will in six months when you decide you want to do some other new thing yeah it's just disposable they're just throwing money away and and I'm actually working on a piece that I I make the uh, I, I take the position that you're better off i take the position that there that mobile applications are different than um desktop applications which in the in the past really amounted to your website so let's say you're a major brand i'm just going to pick something out of the air like home depot not a client um let's say a home depot in the 90s and the early 2000s they had a website and that was pretty much their consumer facing um it if you will that was their consumer-facing digital offering, I guess. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, they're. I don't know that they're doing this, but let's just say that they're cranking out mobile applications. And I, I think that they're being treated the same way. Like, like this is a new web page, or this is a new f- 
flash banner ad or something like a punch the monkeys type of animation <laughs> and <laughs> which everyone loved on the desktop so won't they love it on their phone too oh uh, yeah but the thing is i think that mobile is different and i make the case that it is because mobile phones unlike uh, desktop digital offerings previously mobile phones are it's like an intimate place you have a, we have an intimate relationship with the phone. It's like the last thing people touch before they go to bed. First thing you touch in the morning. You are constantly uh, using it throughout the day. It knows where you are. It knows what your kids look like. It knows your client's SMS addresses. It knows it can read your email. It knows what music you like. It knows what you browse on the web. It's sensitive. And yeah. it's in some of those things were in the desktop, but it was it wasn't the same because we weren't constantly augmenting the information. We weren't constantly accessing it. So that's one thing. It's a very, very intimate place. And the the other thing is that they give us superpowers and we're coming to depend on them in a way that borders on prosthetics. So like I, I, I argue in the article that we're outsourcing pieces of our mind to the internet and the the access to that piece of our mind is usually through our phones yeah and if you lose your phone or you lose access to that or or something like like occasionally when gmail will go down it's like it's kind of like brain damage in a way like all of a sudden you don't have access to your mail you don't have you know it happened to me once i recently i went up to boston mm -hmm. and i uh, I, f for some reason, my phone would not connect to the cellular net cellular network. And I didn't even know where my meeting was. I was going up for a meeting. I took the train. I didn't even know where it was. I had no idea. Cause I was like, Oh, it's on my phone. I'll just look when I get there. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, I'm just, I was walking up and down the streets looking for an open Wi-Fi signal because I had no clue where my meeting was. Mm -hmm. It was like, you're just like uh, stuck, you know? And maybe that's an extreme example, but it's. I don't know. It's kind of where it's going. So the point the point is that mobile's different. It's intimate. It gives us superpowers, and when somebody disrespects that by by loading crapware onto our phone or uh, or something like that, it it breaks that sort of intrinsic promise that you're going to be polite. It's kind of like the difference yeah. of it's like to me it's like the difference of running into a jerk at your office or running into a jerk in your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's worse in your bedroom. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, you know who I've been I've been really impressed with as far as integrating their, their mobile experience and and creating a, a mobile experience that's sort of seamless with the rest of their their um, web presence hmm. is actually is UPS. Oh really? Yeah, which is it's not surprising really because a lot of UPS is business depends on accurately being able to shuffle around and manage data. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they would have a seamless experience between the mobile device and the web, just, it makes total sense because UPS has been, has been doing that, uh, you know, for, for a long time in terms of you know, making, making their data internally accessible, I'm sure across across their whole system so it, it it does carry over into their web presence really well like they have um they have a couple of a couple of web offerings that you can you can sign up for as as a shipper and 
uh, just also as a consumer, their their UPS My Choice, which lets you do package tracking and ship with notifications and and a little more detail than what you get if you go to ups.com and just enter a tracking number. Hmm, cool. And so yeah, so it's it's nice to have the the mobile app on their phone that creates the the nice mobile experience and gives you all of the all of the good easy access to to all of the same data you know, any anywhere you go. You know, whether whether you log into through the website or to the mobile app or or what have you, you're gonna have that that sort of that sort of same experience will just carry through. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's critical, and as the as the number of screens proliferates and then new kinds of I/O access to data and services, it's it's I think it just gets more and more important to have that clean foundation to deliver new. Um, client experiences in different contexts and still have it feel like the same brand still have it feel familiar and you know not be like this whole new like where the hell am i type of feeling yeah um so yeah there's a there's a real sense of consistency and a real like an an obvious accessibility of and sharing of data between between interfaces Mm, that's totally refreshing to hear yeah (laughs) Yeah, that is good. Well, hopefully we'll see more and more of that um, because I get a little nervous sometimes about large companies just, you know, getting disrupted. Like, and the one part of me likes it because I think change is good. And I think a lot of uh, industries have kind of rested on their laurels and they not don't want to do anything until they have to. Um, and that's frustrating you know, especially when it comes to things like calling up customer service and dealing with like the voicemail tree thing and and just just crappy service in general and you know it's annoying. No one likes yeah. it. It's just a question of cost and it, whatever. So it's fun to see people take an approach that uh, is you know generally based on on a combination of wireless connectivity and powerful cloud services and online APIs. And these, I feel like these upstarts, a lot of upstarts are just going to disrupt these major industries, which I, part of me is kind of excited about because, you know, it's like fun, new stuff. But the other hand is like, well, what's going to happen when, uh, I don't know, I, I always, Best Buy is like my whipping boy, but what's going to happen <laughs> to all the people that work at Best Buy, you know? Yeah. And here, actually, here's a new one. The, um, have you heard of Uber? Yes. It's like a car service that kind of reimagines the way a taxi-like experience should be. Yeah, they got got sued by the state of Massachusetts, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yep. Well, uh, they they were They're not sued. S- yeah, cease and desist order uh, that they are not supposed to operate inside of inside of Massachusetts anymore. And here's the the kicker: is that the reason uh, that they were given is that be- because their service is based on uh, GPS, and GPS hasn't been deemed a safe technology, or <laughs> by the by some like security commission. And I'm like, come on. No, but- it's it's the the re- I think the real reason they're the underlying reason that they're not saying is because uh, the taxi industry is it's heavily regulated and heavily taxed. Yeah, totally. And, and, yeah. I mean, you know, you have to, you have to buy that medallion or, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's they're challenging a huge established yeah. 
industry and they're just trying to find some flimsy excuse to to run uber out of town and uh it's i mean it's it's just stinks of desperation and yeah pathetic you know i mean but but like i was saying about best buy it's like i i don't want all like a bunch of cabbies to be out of business i'm sure they're not like you know sitting on a pile of savings (laughs) you know but it seems like it, it seems like the digging in the heels approach that Best Buy took with the barcodes and that, you know, and Massachusetts is not the first first place to, I think it was just Boston, I don't know if it was all of Massachusetts, but um, to take in that sort of dig in the heels approach and pretend like, you know, stick your fingers in your, in your ears and go, la, 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 it's not happening. Yeah. That's a mistake. I mean, what they should be doing, in my hum- humble opinion, is that they should be working with Uber and be like, okay, how, is there a way that we can, uh, work together or is the way that we can um, modernize somehow or license your technology or something mm-hmm. and because just to say that gps isn't i mean the cabs That's use ridiculous. gps it's just ridiculous yeah. regular cabs use gps yeah for crying out loud yeah they just don't use it to control their, their metering and yeah meter, i mean metering and payment i got into a cab yesterday on monday and i had to i had to give the guy you know you go up to the cab where are you going i tell him where i'm going i get in the he's like okay he gets in the car he has no idea where how to get there and he's like uh can you call him and and find out how to get there you know meanwhile we're already leaving the airport so i can't get into another cab so so i pull it up on my phone and i'm like here you know here go turn left you know and uh, and meanwhile, and this is in Miami, where it's just like the worst cabs ever. That they don't, um, they'll do anything to not take a credit card, which I think is illegal. But uh, it it's just amazing how, I mean, Miami is a major metropolitan area, mm-hmm. and they won't take credit. You have to wait for a special cab to be able to use a credit card. It's it's crazy. Yeah, in Boston, you can pay with your phone. Yeah, already. <laughs> you know, it's like. I don't know. It's just whacked. So, so as you know, and it's, I guess it's kind of like a customer service thing or it's a service thing in general. It's a crappy experience and it would be so much more awesome if, uh, you know, if someone feels like revolutionizing that industry, as the case is with Uber, mm-hmm. they can do it. Rental cars, same thing. Like the Zipcar, they're yeah. not, they're not doing great financially, much to my dismay, because I love Zipcar. But the rental rentals, car rentals, is just it's so inconvenient that it's uh, it's almost you can almost make the argument to yourself like oh, I'm just gonna buy a car. This is such oh. a pain. Yeah, that reminds me. I have to pick up a rental car at 4:30 today. <laughs> I'd forgot. <laughs> yeah, I probably know Zipcar in Kentucky. No. So I I love it. You just go over. You just like pull up the app. You reserve the car on your phone. Go over. You either have a card and you touch it to the windshield and the door unlocks or you can unlock it with your phone yeah it's like magic you just get in the car and drive away fill it up with gas yeah. put it back done we um we rented a car when i was up in boston but i i, I don't think it was a zip car yeah um, you probably you'd you you'd know yeah but i mean well i, I wasn't with wyatt when he picked it up but i was oh, when he dropped oh, it off oh, i see so I was when he dropped off, so I don't know. But um, I know it did have sort of the um, 
the 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 toll pass thing. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty standard. Yeah, I don't know. We we don't have a lot of we don't really have any toll roads around here, so. <laughs> Except for the West Virginia Turnpike, which something bad happens to something bad happens to me every time I get on the West Virginia Turnpike, so. It sounds kind of scary. That sounds like a place where where a horror movie would be. Yeah, yeah, the last the last time I was on the West Virginia Turnpike, our the entire bottom fell out of our van <laughs> in the the one area in which you could not get cell phone coverage. Ah. So, so you were flintstoning it back to the <laughs> Uh yeah, until a friendly forest ranger came along. A forest ranger. <laughs> Wow. Yes, he was part of. The, he was a, a West Virginia Forestry Service officer that happened to be driving down the road. Oh, he wasn't on horseback. No, no. I see. <laughs> Man alive. So that. So I guess uh, there was one other thing that I thought was worth mentioning. It's su- super like freaky, futuristic, spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the? Uh, what the heck is it called? I'll, I'll see if I can pull it up while we're talking about it. But uh, it's, you know, you're familiar with like telepresence solutions, right? Where, you know, you can whatever WebEx into somebody's office. Yeah. So this is an iPad telepresence solution that includes a or features a basically a miniature Segway style uh, gyroscopic scooter thing that instead of a person riding on it, you mount an iPad on it and it basically, you, and you remote control it from another iPad from anywhere in the world and it drives around uh, somebody's office or whatever with your face, you know, basically FaceTiming on the front of the iPad. And I remember seeing that. Yeah. I thought it was a spoof. I didn't realize it was a real thing. It's for sale and it's available December 2012. So. So if you want to get me a Christmas present, you can get the iPad. Um, what the heck is it called? It was double. You, I, well, what would I do? Get you a Christmas present and then put it in my office so you can stand over my shoulder and. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's double robotics. Yeah, double robotics lets you turn your iPad into a telepresence robot, and I'll link to the video in the show notes. It's hilarious because like. <laughs> There's the the funniest one is like two you know a couple sits down with, you know, for dinner on the couch and they've got like wine and cheese and they both pull up their iPads and cut to you know the, the scene cuts to a museum with these two robots rolling around like in you know experiencing the paintings on the wall you know and they're like, <laughs> they're like going through the museum as these disembodied robots. And there's just the way the things move is something really ghostly about it, and it's it's very unsettling. At least it was for me. That's that's hilarious because I saw that and I thought it. I didn't realize it was a real thing. I thought it was like reading something on the Onion or something. I hope it's real because I'm gonna feel. <laughs> I, I I have been fooled before, um, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's it's for sale. Like it's it's like uh, it's under two thousand dollars, which is huh. pretty surprising. That's kind of surprising. Yeah. And, um, but honestly, I think it's, it's gimmicky because if you were going to really, if you really wanted to do that, there'd be no reason to put an iPad on there. You know, you could do, I'd much rather have that hummingbird robot, which was the, I don't know if you saw that, but, but, um, was, you know, made the rounds maybe a year ago 
is a DARPA funded project, this little thing that weighs about the same as a double double A battery. Mm-hmm. And it's shaped like it's shaped to look like a hummingbird and it flies like a hummingbird and it has a audio video camera on it and you can control it remotely um, and and get the camera feed from this thing that can basically hover in place, fly through doors or windows. Um, you know, and I, I can actually yeah. it's a little it's fairly clunky, but the thing works and it'd be fairly easy to imagine walking through a mall or like a, a museum and seeing, a, you know, a mini flock of these little hummingbird things come through and, you know, be looking around. But these the iPad the, class field trip. Yeah, exactly. That would be cool. It would be. But the Segway thing is too it's too slow and clunky and it takes up too much room and and it's just way too expensive. Yeah, it's me. it's it feels gimmicky. Yeah, it's kind of like a gimmick. Um, like at one point there's this dude, at, you know, sitting at a like a workbench in a lab and this iPad slowly with a face on it slowly rolls up to him like and the guy acts all casual and stuff. I'm like it's it it looks exactly like it sneaks it's sneaking up on you. It's like very <laughs> It's something really ghostly and spooky about it. Like I can just imagine turning around all the time and being like, "Ah, <laughs> yeah. Bob, what are you doing here?" <laughs> you know. And obviously, it, it it's got small wheels. It would be completely useless if there was even a small stair or even a thick rug. Yeah. You know, it's just you know, I don't know. It's I'm sure it'll have very specific applications in certain places, but uh, or and maybe it's just the beginning of more stuff from Double Robotics, but. Uh, but the robotics trend, I, I think, is um, is one of the things that is going to uh, really drive home the point we were making earlier about um, all these different user experiences and contexts, and and to be picking on a you know to be throwing in and hitching your cart to a particular platform OS as your as your future is. It just so seems so short-sighted when you consider all the wacky things that are gonna uh, be coming out in the near future. Like near future, this thing's coming out in December. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we're we're reaching a tipping point where we're just going to start seeing a lot more, a lot more connected stuff, kind of really quickly over the next few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just posted a tweet from Luke Rubluski, uh His Luke's uh, Rubluski's theorem, which is that everything that can be connected to the internet will be. Yeah. And I could not agree with that more. I mean, you know, I wrote an article a while back about smart hammers that, that I think I've discussed before that, you know, hammers mm-hmm. that hammers that train you how to use them better hammers that tell you where they are when they're lost hammers that send analytics back to craftsmen uh, to, you know, provide better customer service or let you know when you need a new one or, if it's the humidity in the garage is too high and it's going to rust or, or whatever, you know, that's, it's totally going to happen. So, you know, (laughs) if you want to be, if you just want to like learn Xcode and build iPhone apps for the rest of your life, more power to you, but you're going to be missing out on all the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I find, and actually I find that the closer I get to just like the really low level type, stuff that anything can access the more fun i have yeah as, totally. a, as a developer yeah it's super fun i mean it, the whole maker movement and hardware mm-hmm. hacking you're seeing like more and more of this stuff it's like so cool 
Oh, I was supposed to remind you to talk about your iPod Nano. Oh, right. So, uh, yeah, so this is actually thanks to you. Um, oh, the Let's see, when was it? I'm not sure when it was, but you sent me a uh, free copy, Amazon free copy ebook of uh, the first Dresden Files book. Yes. So thank you very much for that. And it was a really good book, and I wanted to, but there are like 15 or 20 of them in the series. Yeah, yeah. It's like I think the fourteenth book comes out in like October, and there's plans for probably another six, and and then a then a trilogy. Wow. So yeah, to end it all, really. Yeah, yeah. He's. I think the plan is like twenty books, and then like this big epic trilogy after those twenty to just kind of end off, finish off the series. Mm. Wow. So the concept is that guy's a the, this guy Harry Dresden is a detective in modern day Chicago, but he's also a wizard, and so he has, you know, powers and stuff. It's like it's really cool, uh, and he's also super like neurotic, and he's got like all these problems and stuff. But I've only read the first book, so I wanted to read. You know, point being, I wanted to read the second book, but I knew I was I, my schedule was going to be really busy and I was going to be traveling, mm-hmm. so I was not going to be able to read it, actually read it. So I bought the audio book, and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't want to while I was traveling I didn't want to drain batteries on my phone uh, so I I have an iPod Nano laying around so I grabbed that that I had bought a while back just for testing and it's you know it's probably a one inch diagonal screen uh, yeah color and it is a touch screen uh, and a couple of, but I, and I've never used it. Like I've used it just on my desk, but I've never like walked around with it and actually, ex, you know, used it the way it's supposed to be used. And I, a couple of things brought me up short uh, on several occasions, which took me by surprise. And the, one of the things is that um, it's, this is no shocker, I suppose, but it's really too small of a device to be a touchscreen. Yeah, it almost is, and I don't have as a huge problem with it, but I have much smaller hands. But I, I can see, I know Richard couldn't use it. Yeah, so there's there is the of course there's the issue of like the the target zone size, and that's not too bad. There's usually only like one or I mean they're smart about it. They only put like one or two things on the screen at a time, but it's more about the the that it's so small. It's just physically so small. That I found myself carrying it, carrying it around by holding the the headphone wire, because if I would accidentally touch the screen all the time, because I would, you yeah, know, you'd have it. So I'm listening to a book. It's it's two files. They're wicked long, and the uh, access to the different chapters is is very difficult because you've only got a view of one little thing at a time, and uh, if if it slips out of your hand and you catch it, you can easily just switch to a whole nother point in the book and then not be able to get back to where you were. Yeah. And it was, I don't know. It, that it does, doesn't it have a lock on it? Like, a, like the, isn't there physically a lock that slides? Yep. And you go to push it and you, and you the, accidentally, accidentally drop it. Yeah, I, accidentally, I have done that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny because for a thing that's the size of a, a fairly large post, it's smaller than a saltine for crying out loud. Yeah. And you almost have to use it with two hands, which is wacky. So yeah, that or you got to get a wrist strap for it. Something I don't know. It's it's too small. 
I can't believe I'm saying that, but it is. So maybe maybe if uh, Siri was working on here or something, that would that would make it a little bit better. But I almost want it to. The touchscreen almost becomes a liability at a certain point. It's very cool and very advanced and smooth and slick, and the target areas are cool, and the way they do the OS is cool. Um, and it's yeah, and and you kind of just want to eat it because it's so tiny and cute. It's, yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. Like seriously, the thing is so cool, but it's really annoying to use. I much <laughs> I I was really annoyed by it. Um, but on the plus side, the battery does last forever. I don't have to worry about the mm -hmm. uh, storage space because I'm just keeping the one thing on there. It's not like filling up my phone or my computer or anything like that. So, but and then here's the other thing that uh, that caught me by surprise a little bit is that it can't connect to the internet. So that's sort of a stupid thing to catch me by surprise because I know it can't connect to the internet. Yeah. But it's amazing how useless it becomes uh, <laughs> when. Yeah, because you think of it, you're like, oh, it's a touchscreen, it's full color. Wait, it only plays MP3s? <laughs> right. Well, weirdly, it can play radio. Like it could, uh, yeah. Oddly enough. Oddly. But that it doesn't connect to the internet is, uh, for me, a major problem or a major, um, even though I'm just listening to an audiobook, I still found it to be a problem because, for example, it- You can't it, go and buy the next one. Yes, certainly that you're trapped. And it, but the main thing for me, which is related to dropping it all the time, is that it, it doesn't sync my location in the book anywhere, mm. which it does on all the other everywhere else. You could just switch from phone to computer to Kindle or whatever. And the spot that you left off on the one device, you know, when you launch the next device, it'll say, hey, you know, you're at a farther point on your iPod Nano or whatever. Yeah. Do you want to jump to that spot? And of course, yeah, of course I do, you know. But so that was that was uh, surprising how much that bothered me. Like I would go, um, you know, I'd go to like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'm listening to the book and like I've got the thing up and like, OK, now I'm just going to. Oh, I, I can't. Do, oh, I can't get the next. Oh, I can't uh, look up that word. Oh, I can't. You know, it's just yeah. it's just I'm so used to everything being wireless that um, I don't know. It just becomes a. Uh, it might, it's like a USB stick with a screen. It's like, who cares? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, but, a, it's a USB stick with a screen and an audio jack. Right. And it's a beautiful little design. Like you said, it it's is. like a piece of candy. Um, and it and I will continue to use it, but I, there's just two things about it being too small to really be... It's too small. <laughs> yeah, see, my, my, my method of using it is to... Put in, put you know, just just have music and put it on random and lock it and stick it in my pocket and ignore it. Yeah, right. So and and anything else is just no. right. Yeah, that makes sense, and that pro that probably would not bother. That wouldn't bother me at all. And it'd be it's great for like jogging because it's not gonna. It's so light and small that you could just stick it anywhere and not even notice it. So yeah, and it's got a good clip on it. Yeah, so definitely agreed there. Um, and I do like the fact that you can record notes to yourself. You can't type on it or anything, but you can record audio on it very easily, and that's useful. Uh, but then you can't, you know, then you have to sync it to your computer to get them off. Um, but the other thing is that um, with with the audio book, it, you know, it was just traveled on a plane, and things would happen where you'd need to pause it and then go back like 30 seconds because it's not like background music. You actually need to you know, you don't want to miss parts. Right. So you're constantly have to pull it out and like, uh, not constantly, but you're frequently pulling it out and 
and going back 30 seconds or yeah and that scrubber is on, on a long audio track becomes so tiny yep going it's, back 30 seconds is impossible yeah well there's a there's a go back 30 seconds button mm. but uh that i that i was using that's probably the the number one thing i was using where you just be like go back 30 seconds hit it like three times and, and you know go back a minute and a half and you could hear yeah. what you missed um but it would just forced me to not just throw it in my pocket and forget about it. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, so it's, so it's, uh, I guess the point is, I don't know what the point is. <laughs> the point is that it was surprisingly difficult to use being as, as advanced and well-designed as it is. Yeah. I guess that is the point. <laughs> and, and also, and also no internet. Yeah. You gotta have a connection. Yeah. It doesn't count. If you have no connection, it doesn't count. <laughs> it's not real. It's not real. Well, all right, let's call it a show. It's a show. Ta-da! <laughs> so that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope to have you again next week on the Ninja Podcast. See you later. Bye. What?